This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Scoop to left field. Is it fair? If it's fair, it's gone. It is gone! A three-run home run for Stan. He's done it again. And he breaks this one open as the Yankees lead 6-2. to two. He cannot be stopped. Yeah, yes, guy to that. He can't be stopped. And uh, that whole sequence is intriguing. 6-2 at that point, as you're well aware. 7-2 for the Yankees over the Jays last night. Welcome to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy reporting here until 1 o'clock. And we're going to spend a lot of time on the Jays' loss. Scott Mitchell will be by very shortly. Then we're going to bring in Max Goodman, Yankees beat reporter for Sports Illustrated. Bottom of the hour, Baxter Holmes will stop by. Senior National NBA writer for ESPN with the vaccine situation and the protocols all announced by the NBA. There's, there's a lot of talk. And we'll get to that later on in the broadcast. And of course, the Leafs are busy tonight in Ottawa. Game time is seven. You may have heard or seen seven thirty somewhere else, but it's at seven. And I know that because I'll be hosting on TSN 1050. Leafs in Ottawa will go through their lineup and some hockey stories uh, towards the end of the broadcast today. So Toronto today with you. Leafs lunch will return prior to the start of the Leafs season. So let's get back into the Jays. And it was Ryu's uh, opportunity to do something. And, and I guess, and Scotty Mitchell said it on SportsCenter last night, uh, you know, sort of a, a middle-of-the-road performance, not bad, not stupendous. Four and a third, allows six hits, three runs, um, and uh, three earned runs, of course, in, in a walk. Uh, three Ks was uh, his performance line uh, against the Yankees last night. And uh, the, the Jays... Uh, pitching, well, Nate Pearson did a nice job, but everybody else, uh, you know, didn't really do the job that the Yankees did. And by the end of the night, they tossed 183 pitches, which is kind of, uh, worrisome in terms of, uh, wear and tear because they may need these guys tonight. We'll see. Uh, but this is Charlie Montoya on, on Ryu's performance last night. No, he was good. He was really good. Uh, he gave up a home run to, to Judge in a high fastball, and that he was really good. And he threw a lot of pitches, but they were not high leverage pitches. Like he was never in trouble except for the first inning. And then the bloop single that he gave up the, to, to Rizzo, which is, you know, credit to him that he got that pitch. And, and, but other than that, he, he gave us a chance. He did what he, we wanted him to do. And he, yeah, he gave us a chance. He did. Uh, the uh, home run was served up by Richards, and it was detailed nicely on the broadcast last night. The uh, pitching sequence, very predictable. And, I, you know, again, not to take anything away from Stamp, who, who did scoop it. I think it was uh, very close to the ground, but he dug it out. But you have to remember, you're pitching to a, an eventual Hall of Famer, and if he knows the sequence, uh, he's going to figure out how to hit it. And, and he did. So where does this leave the Jays? Well, opportunity missed. Boston lost to Baltimore. The Yankees, of course, beat the Jays, and Seattle won. So those Pesky Mariners are now, well, let's, let's go top to bottom. The Yankees have a two-game lead over Boston. The Mariners, with only four games left, everybody else's five, are a half game out. And the Jays are a, a full game out uh, in the standings. Uh, so it, it's interesting to track this. And you know, I want to go back to one of the, the lines that we've used so many times. Steve Phillips just absolutely trumpets this. The Jays' run differential, plus 167. The Seattle Mariners, minus 50. I mean, what is that a sway of? 200 and... Oh boy, 217, uh, not, like 217 runs difference, and, and there the Mariners sit a half game in front of the Jays. It's remarkable, but they're gonna, they may run out of uh, real estate, or you know, maybe there's a four, four-way tie or three-way tie for the final spot. Oh my goodness, craziness ensues. So Montoya, the manager, was asked on, you know, the Jays now being in must-win territory. 
but there's only five games left this season, and you're basically in must-win territory now, which I know you say you've been, been there all along. Yeah, yeah. So, same, same thing so, tomorrow. Yeah, just, just forget about tonight and be ready to play tomorrow. And again, we've done it before, so why not do it again? Yeah, why not? Uh, you know, it's not over till it's over. Thank you, Yogi Berra. So tonight, game of the year again, followed or preceded by the game of the year last night, uh, Brios against Cole, and tomorrow night again, game of the year, Ray against Kluber. Uh, and, you know, the, the kind of a wacky story that we'll explore with Max Goodman is this turtle named Bronxy that seems to be the uh, the indicator or the, uh, the the good luck charm for the Yankees. And when I heard his, about his name, I thought, ah, too bad Torts isn't involved with the Yankees because he could tell Bronxy to sit in the corner, and then Bronxy could talk back, and then Torts could come up with a, hey, Bronxy, that's what I'm saying, Bronxy, get in the corner. So uh, I don't know if a turtle can, can sway things, but there's some strange stuff in the air. I mean, the St. Louis Cardinals have won 17 straight, so anything, literally anything, is possible. The Yankees eight and two their last ten. Boston six and four. Uh, Seattle nine and one, and the Jays five and five. So we'll see what all this means. Uh, you know, interesting to watch the hockey story as we mentioned. Uh, the Leafs in Ottawa tonight. Uh, Robertson, Kerfoot, Simmons, the top line. Gusev, Camp, and. and Cash up the second line. We'll get into that as we move along. Let's bring in Scott Mitchell now, our TSN 1050 Blue Jay reporter. Scott, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, good. I mean, we, you know, we could talk about the pitching, and we'll eventually get there. But, I mean, they only had three hits last night, and Bichette had, had two of them. Not a great time for everybody to quiet down, is it? No, I mean, when you look at last night, just kind of a perfect storm, not great baseball. Uh, you know, Hunjin Ryu wasn't, uh, wasn't brutal, but wasn't, uh, wasn't great. And yeah, the offense really didn't show up. And obviously when you, you kind of get Jameson Tyone out of the game and get into that bullpen, you'd love to, you'd love to put up some runs against that team and in, in the first game. But obviously that didn't happen. And, um, you know, behind the eight ball now, you got to win these last two games of the series. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a, the opposite story. Uh, and, and really, when you're talking Yankees and Jays, I think when you're talking the winning team, you're going to talk about some big bats uh, doing the job, and certainly Stanton did that. Uh, you know, the opportunity was when Tyon went out that maybe the, the pen would, would suffer, but they had a flawless performance from their bullpen, really, and, and the Jays not so flawless. And that's a pretty big sway, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you look at, you know, what Giancarlo Stanton did last night is, uh, you know, he hit a, a pitch, you know, eight, inches out of the strike zone for a home run for, uh, you know, to, to break that game open. And, you know, th- this guy is one of the hottest hitters in baseball and, you know, obviously has a huge contract and, you know, is kind of earning the, earning the money down the stretch here. And when you look at, you know, this Yankees team, they're, they're clearly hot. And, you know, all the, all these teams in the AL East have kind of taken turns, uh, you know, being, being the hot team and, and running up a, a good stretch. And, um, you know, obviously the, the Jays here, uh, you know, it just hasn't been what we saw early in the month with, uh, you know, the, the offense clicking on all cylinders and, and you know, starting pitching, um, you know, being able to keep these guys in games. And, um, you know, I think over these next two days, that's, that's kind of the recipe. Obviously, you got a Barrios tonight and, and Robbie Ray tomorrow. And, you know, those are the guys you want on the mound in these types of situations. And, you know, you hope to, hope to give the pen a break because you hope to get these guys into the seventh, eighth inning. And, you know, have that offense show up and, and you know, have that same recipe that, uh, you know, propelled you to, to such a hot streak to get into this position. And, you know, I think these, you know, the AL East is, is just such a good division. And obviously the Orioles did the, the Jays a huge favor last night because if the Red Sox would have won, obviously it would have been a much different story today in terms of 
the overall playoff picture being two games back instead of one. So, um, you know, five games left, and, you know, this is this is why you play them, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, just win, baby, is, is the line there. I just wanted to circle back on the pitching staff for one last question. Um, uh, does Ryu appear on the weekend, and, and uh, Nate Pearson really, uh, that was an inspiring outing from him, wasn't, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Nate looked good. Um, you know, he's, he's looked good, uh, you know, off and on. And the same with Julian Merrow there. I thought his stuff was really popping last night, too. Um, you know, so having those two guys, um, you know, looking good with, with their stuff, stuff-wise, in, in terms of command and, and things like that at this point is, is a good sign. And, you know, if you get into that over these next two days or, or these next couple of days with, uh, you know, the bullpen, you know, you obviously feel much more confident, um, you know, in that group than you did uh, a few months ago. And, um, and when it comes to Rio, yeah, he's lined up to go Sunday in the in the season finale. So um, if you if you you know for some reason we head into that day with with the standings all locked up, I mean you know that guy could uh, you know could get the ball in a in a in a real real interesting spot. So um, you know obviously they 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 have a lot of faith in this guy. I think you know when you know fans look at what he's done this year, obviously being kind of up and down, inconsistent things like that. I think. You know, behind the scenes, I think they know the reasons why he's a little bit inconsistent. I, I don't truly think he's been fully healthy um, this season. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I think yesterday's start was, you know, it wasn't good, wasn't bad, uh, wasn't awful. It gave him, uh, came, gave him kind of a chance to win, and uh, you, you're going to have to hope for that on Sunday. And I think, you know, I think they, they hope they can get this guy in uh, in postseason form before next week. And Sunday's outing will be interesting, obviously against the Orioles, but could be in a uh, pressure-packed situation given the uh, given the situation with these wild card standings. Yeah, you know, I, I like what you said there, Scott, because I think and it could apply to um, a lot of things. Uh, you know, there's always a, 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 an A B side to any analysis, and so you could look at Ryu's performance and, and and not be enthralled with it, but you could also look at it and in four and a third innings. He tossed 93 pitches, so he was in the battle. So, I mean, that's the positive. Um, you could look at that Vladdy, one for 20, I think, in the last five games and, and not be happy about that. But, I mean, if you looked at the Yankees two weeks ago, they weren't doing anything, and all of a sudden somebody finds the on switch, and once it goes in the other direction, it seems to me that it just keeps going in the other direction. Yeah, I mean, you know, hitting is contagious. I mean, it's impossible to explain why. It's impossible to explain, you know, uh, how how these things kind of happen and, uh, you know, how a team can't hit for three weeks and then, you know, scorches for a month. But, um, yeah, you know, look, when you look at these ALEs, teams are all built the same. You know, you got to get strong starting pitching. You got to score a lot of runs and, you know, you gotta you gotta hope your bullpen holds up. And, you know, the, the Yankees bullpen held up better than the better than the Jays did yesterday. And, Look, I think uh, I think these teams are so so evenly matched, and obviously, when you look at last week in the Bronx, um, you know what the Jays did there. Obviously, this is a, a different Yankees team showing up and uh, offensively with the bats, and you know, obviously, we saw that last night. Yeah, I, I think they're they're very eerily similar. Uh, let me bounce this off you. If, if you're talking about the Jays winning seven two last night, you'd be talking about some timely hitting and pretty good pitching, and the timely hitting would become would be coming from star players and. I mean, that's the recipe the Yankees used. I mean, they are somewhat similar, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I mean, I put the Red Sox in that group, too. I, I think they're all very, very similar. I mean, you know, you got some strong starting pitching. you got uh, you got three very good offenses, and you got three bullpens that, you know, I think in my opinion, you know, um, aren't dominant, um, but you are confident enough that uh, – 
you know, they can get the job done from time to time. So, I, I mean, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, these guys, they, all these teams in the AL East are, are built on offense, built on big bats, you know, built on scoring five, six, seven, eight runs a game. And, um, you know, we saw, we saw it last night. We, we've seen what the Jays have done, you know, this entire season. And, you know, it's been big offense and, um, you know, strong starting pitching down the stretch here. And, you know, it's a good uh, it's a good recipe for for any team to have because if you can score runs and 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 you know start um, you know out of the rotation, I mean it's a great uh, it's a great recipe to have. So I mean, I, I think you know when you look at what these teams need to do over these next couple of days, it's the same thing. It's Barrios and Ray, um, you know, for the Jays. It's Cole and, and Kluber for the Yankees, and you know, essentially that's that's the season right here. And you know, if you're the Jays, you got to go out tonight. You got to beat Garrett Cole. You got to beat one of the best starters in baseball. And um, you know, there's really no other way to go about it because you know tonight's a must-win game. Yeah, you kind of like that. I mean, it's uh, you either do it or or you got a problem. And it's Garrett Cole. So uh, they got to him before in the other series. Uh, but this is a guy who would like to uh, win a Cy Young. So you got to believe he's going to empty the tank. And I guess the question is, do the Jays have this ability to to play better against a better pitcher? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, they've they've got to him a little bit before. They've had a little bit of success against him this year. And um, you know, it's. You can probably say that the the American League Cy Young's on the on the line the next two days because I mean if the uh, you know Cole goes in and shoves um, in a po- in a postseason race against the Jays today obviously that's going to earn him a, a ton of votes and same thing with Robbie Ray tomorrow I mean you know going in the season or in the series finale um, he's got an opportunity to you know to beat a very good offense and and kind of put his exclamation point on that uh, on that Cy Young race so. Um, should be some pretty good pitching over these next couple of days, but we'll see what these offenses have to say about it. Well, talk to us about Seattle. I mean, this is a story that won't go away, and I know they've got one less game to play, but they're a half game in front of the Jays. Uh, and this is a team that you know, the run differential, as I said before you got on, is minus 50. The Jays is plus 167. They shouldn't even be in the same area code, but there they are. Weird story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I remember saying on on uh, you know one of these one of these hits a couple of months ago that I didn't really believe in Seattle. I thought they'd fall out of the race, and you know, credit to them for hanging in there because I think this is a team that um, you know maybe similar to the Jays last year that's uh, kind of ahead of schedule when you look at kind of what they've done and you know what they've done with their roster. Um, you know, I think this year was supposed to be kind of a, a rebuilding year slash consolidation year where they brought some of their kids up and you know, hope to hope to have a pretty good year. And uh, I think when you look at where they're sitting in the standings, obviously a little bit more positive than probably anyone in that organization expected. And I think when you look at this team over the next couple of years, this is one of the teams that's going to be right there with the Jays in, in terms of the wild card hunt every single year because, um, you know, a ton of young talent. They've got some starting pitching and, um, you know, they've, they've really seemed to uh, be able to find um, – you know, kind of guys on the uh, on the outskirts of the rosters, uh, so to speak, in terms of you know filling it out and and, and being able to uh, you know put together a competitive team every year. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the Mariners and Jays uh, over these next couple of years, and you know, especially once you get fans back in that stadium in Seattle, Canadian fans, I think um, you know we're in for a treat in terms of these two teams because a lot of young talent on both of them. Yeah, so 28,000-plus last night. Uh, I mean, that was a different atmosphere, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's so sporadic and, and spread out that, uh, you know, I think um, everyone's kind of craving that, uh, you know, shoulder-to-shoulder 
49, 48,000, whatever it's going to be at, at some point there. But, you know, I think, um, you know, we're trending towards normalcy and, and, you know, that's a good sign for everybody. Scott, thanks very much. Appreciate it. All right, Jim. Take care, buddy. Yeah, have a good day. That's Scott Mitchell, our TSN Blue Jays reporter. So 28,000-plus, by my count, about 1,500 people still could have made it. So 1,500 people stiffed the Jays last night. 30,000 is the capacity. I was looking around. I was counting. I went, ah, come on. There's 1,500 seats here. Just kidding. Come on. Uh, coming up next, Max Goodman, Yankees beat reporter from Sports Illustrated. The, the Bronxy effect, I, you know, the turtle. I, I, I don't know what that could be. Uh, the Leafs again repeating 7 o'clock tonight, TSN 1050 in Ottawa. It is a, a lineup with uh, not a lot of stars in it, but, you know, as, as I was saying earlier to uh, my coworker Stephanie, um, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, there's three games this week and three next week and then the regular season. So uh, people have to get in games. And then next week, I would assume, would be uh, sculpturing the lineup to, to get to the point where it could start the regular season. So, and it's a road game too. So, you know, I wouldn't read too much into it other than you'll get to see different people in different places. Uh, Kasha playing on the line with Camp and Gusev, as I said earlier. Um, let's see, Bunting is in the game. Semyonov and, and Hosang are his uh, other line mates. Uh, Morazic and Hutch are the goaltenders tonight. Sandine Biega and the Blue Line, Dahlstrom, Dermott, Carl Lilligren, and I, I don't know exactly where they have a cutoff because they've listed eight defensemen, so two won't play, and there's two extra forwards. But, uh, again, it's not a star-studded lineup, but I, I think you're, you know, you're looking to see what Bunting can bring to the table. Kasha is second game that we're watching, so and Camp, so you're looking for little signs. Don't know exactly how all this fits in. Let's get back to the Jays and Yankees tonight. It'll be uh, the pitching matchup, uh, of course, is, oh, what did I lose it? Barrios against Garrett Cole. Max Goodman is here, the Yankees beat reporter for Sports Illustrated. Max, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Very good, thanks. Uh, you were in Boston, uh, the Yankees. I mean, so I guess the, the question I want to start off with, Max, is this this streaking Yankee team as, a, as opposed to the one from, I want to say, what, four or five weeks ago? Is it the same same storyline, or, or is it different? Man, this team has been so streaky and inconsistent and weird uh, all year long. I, I think I used the analogy in another radio interview a, a couple of days ago where it's they just will never have the sliders all the way up, you know, in video games when you can make your power and your and all your different statistics all the way up across the board. Sometimes their bullpen will be good and, and their offense will be good, but the starting pitching won't be great. And then the starting pitching will be good, but then the bullpen will falter late in games and the offense won't be great. So right now what we're seeing in these last couple games is they are across the board playing complete baseball Everybody's contributing to these to these comprehensive wins, and they're catching fire at the right time. I mean, it's a team that won 13 games in a row just a couple of weeks ago, but the question is, can they maintain this hot streak as we go into October? Yeah, you wonder about those things, and then you see the St. Louis Cardinals rip off 17 straight, so, it's, I mean, it's totally doable. I, I would think that from, from a Yankees fan base, to have their starting pitcher go out after two and a third and have that bullpen come in and uh, pretty well flawless – uh, including Severino. I mean, this could be an emerging story, right? The bullpen has been magnificent lately. Yeah, and, and they're also going to get Jonathan Loisega back uh, as early as today, I believe, uh, but at some point during this series. And he's been their their bullpen MVP all year long, one of the best in the league. But yeah, you, you put Luis Severino back in there, and he has a lot of success dating back to 
I believe it was 2016 when he came out of the bullpen, and that was before he really emerged as you know a, a top five, top ten starter in all of baseball before his injuries. But Michael King has been has been brilliant for them in in longer relief roles, and and Chad Green has been solid. Oraldis Chapman is is hit or miss at times, but when he's locked in, he's one of the best closers in the game. So like I said, I mean, the inconsistencies have been glaring all year long, but when everyone is at their best and churning out together, it's it's a pretty unstoppable unit, and the, the talent is unquestionable with this team. That's why on paper I think a lot of people predicted this club would, you know, maybe not run away with the division, but they would be a favorite to win the AL East and kind of cruise through the playoffs. But it hasn't exactly worked out like that. But now, you know, who wants to play them in a postseason series? Uh, you got Garrett Cole going in a in a potential one game playoff, and then who knows what's going to happen in a five or seven game set? So, uh, the bullpen is going to be a huge component for them. I, I think it, they haven't been talked about enough. Well, I mean, you got four guys that that pitched uh, one inning apiece, and they were flawless. It was it was almost like a warm up. I mean, it didn't didn't leave a dent at all. The pitch count was was uh, controllable. They were very efficient, and it's just like a, a day of work for these guys. And they didn't get stressed out like the the Jays pitching staff did. They tossed 183 pitches uh, last night for the Jays, so that's tough for them. Let's talk about Garrett Cole on the mound tonight. I mean, he wants to win the Cy Young. I think the Jays got to him uh, quite easily the last time they played. So uh, he's going to make a statement, isn't he? Well, you'd like to think so. Uh, I, I think that he has the pedigree to do so, and he's come up big for this team in some must-win games throughout the course of the season. But he's also had a couple clunkers along the way. I mean, uh, recently he, he gave up, I think it was seven earned runs to the to Cleveland at Yankee Stadium in a game that they really wanted to win. And at Fenway Park earlier in the year, I think it was also seven earned runs that he gave up. So, you know, the body of work has been really impressive, and he's certainly going to get a lot of votes for uh, for a Cy Young. I don't know if it'll be him or, or Robbie Ray or whoever else, but, you know, he has come up in those big games before, and I think he's silenced a lot of the, the, the critics and doubters from the whole sticky stuff saga earlier in the year, and he's just found a way to, to dominate and, and playing to his salary and, and his expectations this season. Uh, but, you know, it's going to come down to that one-game playoff, too, and I think that they're positioning themselves in a way where they're the Yankees like where they're at. And, and something that Aaron Boone has said all year long, I, I keep bringing this up, is the Yankees hold the pen down the stretch here. They can write their own destiny. They, they are playing the teams that they need to beat in order to get into the postseason. And that's the beauty of being able to play against Toronto down the stretch and, and sweep a team like Boston that they're now leapfrogging in the standings. So you like, you like the matchup going out, Berrios against Cole. I mean, it's, it's, must-watch TV and, and must-win games for both sides. So everybody's happy about it. Well, and you're looking for, you know, aside from the pitchers, the, the batters to do something about it. Last night, Stanton with that, uh, uh, how do I say it, the, the, the ball was, was heading towards the dirt, and he picked it out. The local broadcast did a nice job on the pitch pattern, but didn't describe anywhere nearly how, how difficult it is to, to pick something out of the that was hitting, headed for the ground. I mean, that was a massive hit, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I was thinking about that before you guys called. I covered Trevor Richards when he was coming up with the Marlins. I was an associate reporter in Miami, and he was a, a rookie, and he has an interesting story. You know, he, he wasn't a, a 22-year-old prospect coming up. He, he was later in his, in his baseball life, and his changeup is an unreal pitch. That's what's really made him grow reputation in this league, at least in my opinion, and that's a 
2-2 pitch that was perfectly placed, running down and in. And like you said, I mean, it was just a couple inches off the ground. And Stanton is just so locked in right now that he was able to, the, the word Michael K used on the, on the Yes broadcast or Picks 11, whatever it was, is he scooped it and it went 421 yeah. feet and almost cleared the second deck. I mean, this is what, what you're seeing from Stanton right now. I think the best way to describe it is it resembles what he did in 2017 and going back to the Marlins again when he won uh, the National League Most Valuable Player Award. And that's what he said after the game last night, that that's, you know, he hasn't really felt this good and this locked in since then. And what he's been doing lately is historic. I mean, he has 13 RBIs in his last four games. That's something that he's never done in his entire career. And we're talking about one of the best and most prodigious sluggers in the entire sport from the last decade. So then his next at-bat, he takes a high fastball, and it's a, a, a missile to right field off the wall. So I don't know how you pitch to someone like that at this point, and if he can stay healthy down the stretch, what the Yankees fans saw last year in the postseason was he went on an absolute tear when they were playing Cleveland and, and Tampa in the first two rounds of the playoffs, and the Yankees need him to do something like that too as, as he and Judge really carry them here into October. Well, as you were talking about that home run, it's like a tee shot at a golf course. I mean, he just he golfed it out. He, he scooped it up. So you were in Boston. You, you saw the Yankees sweep the Red Sox. In my opinion, Boston, the Yankees, and, and the Jays are eerily similar in that if you're describing a win, it might have the same components. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on those three teams and maybe throwing the Mariners about how this race uh, unfolds over the next, uh, well, five games? Yeah, the Mariners are a, a special story. I'm, I think – Baseball fans should be rooting for them because of the the drought that they have and just how marvelous this run has been of late, kind of a little bit similar to what the Cardinals are doing. Not really, though, because the Cardinals are on an unreal run. Uh, but, yeah, I, going into this season, I honestly didn't really think the Red Sox had what it takes to, to, to be at this point in the year. I really underestimated them, and I never really anticipated the the Jays to be this good as well, and I think that the – the pitching staff in Toronto has been, you know, a, a revelation in my opinion because we all knew that that the offense was going to be tremendous, and I think the same applies to to viewing the lineup in Boston with Devers and and Martinez and Bogarts and all those guys. So, like you said, I, it it comes down to can these offenses fire on all cylinders? Each of these teams has has rising stars and, and veterans that we all know what they're capable of, but can the starting pitching be counted on here in in these must-win games and can the bullpen come up big too i think that as much as it's been an inconsistency for the yankees it also has been for for toronto and for boston as well but the the cool thing is that everyone's battling it out at the end and nobody's out of it yet uh, even if the yankees are two games up uh, like we just talked about earlier they could come crashing down as soon as tonight, right? So we, we have no idea what's going to happen, and that makes all of these games even more exciting to, to follow along and, and watch. Great retrospective analysis. That's what it is. Um, and, and of course, the, the Bronxy story. I mean, this is, this is a decided edge, is it not? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that it, it, it gives them more of an edge than, than any team in baseball. <laughs> no, I mean, they're 7-0 they're <laughs> and oh since, this, since this turtle has popped up. Uh, we're not in the clubhouse, so it's kind of a situation where you wish you were down there. You get to see Bronxy and his element. And it was an amazing report from, from ESPN hearing how Brett Gardner wants to get the, the little turtle a World Series ring if they go all the way. And, 
and players like DJ LeMahieu will just sit there and, and stare at, at this turtle and have intimate moments with him. Uh, you know, I think the chemistry as a whole, not to get into this too much, but sometimes this team didn't look like it was having fun and, and the chemistry wasn't there. And that's a huge component for, for teams as you try to go on a run down the stretch and, and try to win a title. I mean, as much as you have the talent on the field, if you're not clicking in the clubhouse and off the field when you're spending all this time together, that's huge for a team. I mean, I, I played baseball growing up in, in an amateur place, going to college, and, and if you're getting along with your teammates and having fun while you're out there, that really does make a difference. And maybe a, a turtle is, is a spark that this team needed. Uh, who knows? I mean, we'll have to talk to more guys about it as the postseason begins, but it's certainly a fun story and, and a, a little quirk to what's been such a weird and, and roller coaster ride this season. Well, it's anything but a turtle race. Max, thanks very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for having me. Max Goodman, Yankees beat reporter for Sports Illustrated. I like what he said there about team chemistry. You're not seeing that with the Jays ever since Agua under the bridge and, and the Gurriel injury. So hopefully that returns tonight. Uh, Cole against Barrios on the mound, and uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Baxter Holmes, senior NBA writer for ESPN, is next. The vaccine problem and the protocols for the NBA as the season launches. We'll discuss that. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy reporting here until 1. That is Matthew Cause with Gameplay. So let's deal with the NBA camps are, are underway. And there are tentative health and safety protocols released by the NBA to its teams uh, yesterday. So let's get more on that. Baxter Holmes is here, senior national NBA writer for ESPN. Baxter, welcome in. I mean, this is uh, kind of a confusing and a lot of variables, aren't there? Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, this has been something we've learned all throughout the pandemic, right? That things have been evolving and changing, and the NBA has had to do plenty of that too, whether it's, you know, stances on vaccines, vaccine availability, different kind of testing, and then, you know, as you mentioned, what are the protocols going to be for the unvaccinated and the vaccinated? And and the tentative protocols that were released yesterday, it's very clear that lives for the unvaccinated in the NBA are going to be very different uh, for those uh, for them versus those who are vaccinated. So, you know, whether it's having to sit in different areas on the team bus, the team plane, the locker room, team dinners, team meetings, um, you know, restrictions on, you know, being able to leave your hotel or your residence, um, all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of variables for sure. It's, uh, I mean, it's an odd look. It's sort of like uh, the vaccinated people, uh, players move forward. The unvaccinated are almost treated like they would have been a, a year ago before the vaccine showed up. I mean, they're, they're basically sort of traveling isolated, aren't they? More or less, that's the case, yeah. And, and look, you know, some of this is absolutely done for safety, but there's also, you know, behind the scenes very much um, a motivation to try to incentivize uh, some of the unvaccinated players to take the vaccine, you know, just because in some ways their lives would be a lot simpler, um, you know, with respect to like, oh, they're not going to have to test as much or, oh, they're not going to, you know, they're able to have these other freedoms, you know, you name it. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, again, very different experiences for those kinds of players this season. 
Yeah, you almost have to remind yourself of how it was. So with that constant testing, we remember how it was uh, as last season wrapped up, and certainly the Raptors were victimized here. Uh, you know, the testing, and all of a sudden players aren't available, and then there's contract uh, taste, uh, uh, tracing, and, 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 you know, it's a big protocol. I mean, that's sort of one area of, of concern. The, others, uh, the other area of concern, I think, would be that, uh, you know, players have high-risk uh, members of their families, and, and it's, it's really, it gets complicated when you go down that road doesn't it? It very much does. Look, and I, I wrote a piece the other day that kind of explained the concerns of even some vaccinated staffers around the NBA, some of whom, you know, may be in positions where they're a little bit older or they may have health issues of their own or they may have family members who are in that in those kinds of positions or they may have young children who are too young to get vaccinated and they're concerned about the potential of breakthrough cases. And um, I certainly understand that. But, yeah, there's tension around the NBA between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And you could say, look, it's only a relatively small number of players, about 40 or so players. But, you know, as one GM told me, uh, you know, not having everyone vaccinated could be a disaster. And the NBA is not yet to that point where, like, the WNBA is 99 percent vaccinated. So there's still some ways to go. Yeah, and there's, again, you know, nothing's consistent here. There are different jurisdictions that we're dealing with. And so I guess the two headliners would be uh, San Francisco and New York. Um, Kyrie and, and, and Wiggins might not be able to play home games. And, and you can uh, actually make that even more complicated by saying that Kyrie could travel to Canada under an exemption. It, it just There's a lot of stuff here that, that's it's not contradictory, but it's hard to understand, isn't it? It is. And, you know, to your point, I, uh, I'm very curious you know, what exemption policies will be in place um, for either players who don't want to take the vaccine, for certain guys who are in those markets, like, you know, whatever the case may be. The NBA announced this morning that any player who misses games because they don't comply with local vaccine policies, and that is particularly aimed at New York and San Francisco, that those players aren't going to get paid. And a, a bigger question I have is, Okay, well, what if, like, say, Los Angeles or Chicago or other, you know, major markets, or maybe not even major markets, but other cities, pass similar kind of laws as in New York and San Francisco? You know, what is there a domino effect that will happen there? And what if any of those cities, like New York and, and San Francisco in particular, what if they decide, you know, we're not going to, this isn't just going to pertain to people in this market. It's going to pertain to anyone coming to this market. So what does that mean for unvaccinated players who might be playing there? Uh, moving forward. So again, very evolving situation. It changes virtually day to day. Yeah, it's uh, it's a moving target. Um, I just I wonder because when the NFL season started, there was all kinds of talk like this, and, and I don't think that there's been uh, an issue. And, and clearly, not everybody's vaccinated in the NFL, and they have a lot of the same jurisdictions uh, but this uh, the difference for me would be and correct me if i'm wrong the nba players association is much stronger than the nfl version will will the N nba player association at some point just say no or, or come up with their own plan how, how does that work yeah it, it'll be interesting i mean here's what we know at this point uh you know the nba pushed for a mandate for all players to be vaccinated the players union pushed back said no said that was a non-starter now Look, we're at 90, a little bit north of 90% uh, as far as I understand it. And the season hasn't started yet. So who knows what will be, you know, by Christmas. Maybe the number of players, you know, it's, it's at 40. Maybe it goes down to 30. Maybe it goes down to 20. You know, some of these guys just find that the protocols 
pertaining to unvaccinated players are so cumbersome that we ultimately get to, you know, a 99 or 100% without ever needing a mandate. It's totally possible. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, for now it's, it's just kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's it creates an uneasy situation. Um, LeBron uh, did get vaccinated and, and then told everybody he was going to like he's not going to preach to anybody about about what to do. But I think that the fact that he did would resonate. How about you? Yeah, I was going to just make that that same point myself. You know, he was asked about why he hasn't necessarily been an advocate. You know, he said he didn't feel it was his place that everybody it's their own bodies, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, that's his own opinion. There's been others um, who felt very much you know the other the other direction is their job to advocate but him coming out and just and saying that he's vaccinated certainly moves the needle um on that front and then he you know he described kind of his thought process that he felt it was important for him and his family and his teammates so that he could be available um and all of that so yeah that i mean that in and of itself you know you can't downplay the the significance and the magnitude of that uh, just a thought before we say goodbye. I mean, you know, I'm reading the points here. So separated, uh, vaccinated, unvaccinated players have to be separated from vaccinated players in the locker room. That's awkward. Prohibit uh, from dining indoors with vaccinated players. Awkward again. Not allowed in the weight room with vaccinated players. Wow. And required to remain at their hotel on the road with limited exceptions. I mean, this, as I said before, this is isolated, but this is almost a painful isolation because it might be one or two guys per team at the most. I mean, that's just not team chemistry, is it? Yeah, and look, that, that's something that people were actually saying to me last year because a lot of people before the vaccines were available, these similar protocols are in place for everybody. You know, and, and this was during the surges of December and January that people were having to basically do all the things you, you just said, you know, severe isolation. And I remember talking to one team staffer who said it feels like we're in a, a moving jail cell. You know, you, you're, you're in an isolated situation in one city and then you go to another city and you basically don't leave your hotel room until you go play the game. Um, and, and there was all kinds of restrictions on that. Yeah, so that's going to be a life for, us, for uh, unvaccinated players for the, times being, for the time being. Now, as of last season, protocols changed quite a bit as life around the country changed quite a bit. And as different guidelines came down from the CDC, et cetera, et cetera, you know. So we'll see what happens. But this is going to be the law of the land, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's, it's a way to move forward. I just want to, I know we talked about this earlier, but I just want to end on this. If you're uh, with the Warriors and, and you've got Andrew Wiggins who can't play a home game or with Brooklyn and Kyrie can't play a home game, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a team divider, isn't it? I would imagine so. I mean, look, these are pretty significant players, the ones you just mentioned. And there's guys like, uh, you know, other players around the league who I think if, if they're unvaccinated and they're, you know, significant players on the team. I don't necessarily know who they are. One of the things I'm very curious about is like, okay, let's say the Nets really start struggling and it's, you know, particularly in home games or it's Kyrie's availability or lack thereof is really affecting their ability to compete. And maybe the situation is somewhat true for the Warriors. I wonder then how, you know, what the dialogue will be like amongst the teammates and the coaches towards, you know, any unvaccinated players, if they're really kind of impairing their ability to compete. So it's going to be a storyline to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Baxter, thanks very much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
That's Baxter Holmes, senior NBA, senior national NBA writer for, for ESPN. Uh, some audio here. So LeBron was vaccinated the other day, and uh, he's going to speak here on, on why he's uh, not going to push the vaccine on others. We're talking about individuals' bodies. You know, we're not talking about something that's political or, or uh, racism or police brutality and things of that nature. We're talking about, like, people's bodies and well-beings. You know, so I don't feel like for me personally, and I should get involved in, in, in what other people should do for their bodies and their livelihoods. Okay, I mean, I'm going to expand on, on what he just said there in, in, in a second. I just want to get to Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins potentially missing games, home games, because of the, the local law. It's not ideal, but I don't think anybody felt it, you know, expected to be in that or be asked that question on something that's a, a voluntary decision, I guess, in a sense. But we'll see. I mean, we hope we hope not. We hope we have full team for the entire year and understand that on all accounts and what what uh, research says and things like that that it's safe and, and you know we're all in the same boat. So we hope you know he's available. And if not, we adjust accordingly. You know, this is another one of those storylines where you tend to zero in on, on the individual, and, and I don't like that. So I'm going to go back to my my uh, hockey theory on we're talking about a player's contract and how it fits into a salary cap, not the player's ability. So in this particular case, we're talking about a, a player's personal decision. And, and our concern is not his decision, but how the team functions and how the league functions with difference of opinion. Uh, it's got nothing to do with the individual's decision. They're more than entitled to make it. Uh, our only concern here is, so how do the Warriors play without Andrew Wiggins? How do the Nets play without Kyrie? And then, of course, you get into the, 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 the interesting situation of a guy can't play a home game but can travel elsewhere to play because of different jurisdictions and different rules. And you could have a guy who's not vaccinated who can play a game uh, in Toronto because of a, a, a waiver. It's, I mean, there's a lot of confusing elements here. It really has nothing to do with the individual. It has to do with how do you move forward. It, so I, I tend to want to say that because I don't like to zero in on people. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion and can make their own decisions. Decisions. Uh, what we deal with here is sports and how it affects the team. So just thought I'd get that out there. When we come back, we'll talk about the leaps and sends tonight at 7 on TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Today, Jim Taddy with you until 1. Then it's Matthew Cause in Game Place. So I just got some housekeeping in order here. Leafs and Sens preseason action at 7 tonight on TSN 1050 uh, live from Ottawa. And so Kristen and uh, I and, and Bonesy and, and Ralphie will be talking about uh, a bunch of players. I'll get to them very shortly. I just want to remind you that Leafs lunch will return before the season. And tomorrow is Truth and Reconciliation Day. So Toronto today uh, will not air tomorrow. We'll be back again on Friday. So here is the lineup uh, that we're going to deal with tonight on, on our broadcast, starting at 7. Uh, Kerfoot between Simmons and Robertson, um, and Kampf uh, between Kashup and Gusev. Remember, Gusev's still working for a contract. He's on a tryout. Uh, Semyonov between Hosang and, and Bunting. Uh, interested to see Bunting again, and Hosang battling also for a contract. Amadio between Gabriel and Brooks. You remember the game that Gabriel had on, on Saturday night? Very impressive. And uh, the spares might be Abramoff and, and Engvall. We don't know exactly. There's there's two extra forwards, so they, they decide this uh, later in the afternoon. On the blue line, again, there's there's uh, two extra defensemen, so I'm just going to go with the top six. Sandine and Biega, uh, Dahlstrom 
McDermott and Crawl and uh, Lilligren. So we've all, we've seen all of them play. But we haven't seen Biega, I don't think. We've seen the rest of them play before, so that'll be interesting. And the goaltending match, uh, or the tandem, actually, is Morazic and Hutch uh, as they work this out. So uh, as I said earlier in the broadcast, not a star-studded lineup, but you have to sort of take things in perspective. Uh, this is game three this week. They started on Saturday, and they end tonight, and then they don't play again until Monday. And it's a steady diet of... Ottawa and Montreal. Remember, we're still in a pandemic situation. So uh, at uh, Ottawa again on Monday, Tuesday at home to Montreal, and a week Saturday uh, at uh, home to to Ottawa, and then it's on to the regular season. So the reason I point that out is because now you've got three games next week, uh, two of them at home, where you can start to shape that lineup to what you're going to start with on October 13th against Montreal again at home, and we will have that game for you on TSN 1050. So plenty of work to be done, and I, I'm not going suggest this is the last time you'll see some of these guys because they're going to play a bit but i think you'll see more regulars in the lineup starting next week you have to because we, they have to get down uh, and one of the major concerns is is austin matthews chris johnson our uh, hockey insider and insider trading yesterday reporting there's no guarantee that matthews is ready for opening night although matthews has said all the right things and he hopes to be ready here's coach sheldon keefe on that it looks to me like he's doing well, but uh, in terms of him really pushing it, in terms of the shots and the torque that's associated with his shot, especially, that's something that you know, he's going to build towards, and that's what he's going through now. This amazing season he had last season, and of course, knowing what he was going through, you know, that he didn't play many games where he was feeling 100%, um, and yet still was incredible. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting uh, to know that he's going to be feeling better when he gets back on the ice playing for real again. So what we know from Chris Johnson's reports and others is uh, there's no plan yet to play any exhibition games for him, and, and he could actually miss game one. But I, but I think, uh, you know, at this point when we're talking about the lease, we're talking about the long-term game. I don't think, you know, as exciting as the opener will be, uh, I don't think anybody's going to refer to it. As we go forward, we all know what the game plan here is, and that is to uh, make the playoffs and, and go deep. And what happens in game one or 15, uh, I'm not going to harp on it at all. I mean, it just you try to put things in perspective. Uh, other hockey stuff, we've got uh, Hyman and McDavid last night uh, connecting in their first preseason game, and I'm just going to go to uh, find their stats so what did uh, Connor McDavid, one and two for three, and uh, Zach Hyman, who wears number 18, one and two for two. They're both plus two. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's going to be a storyline. There's just no way around that. It's going to be a positive storyline for Edmonton. And, uh, you know, you, Leaf fans can, can pick how they want to look at that. I'm not going to suggest it. Um, Sunday Night Football, uh, box uh, in New England. And uh, there's an interesting article uh, going on uh, that's actually a book, uh, right, that that Brady has talked about his departure from uh, New England uh, and uh, the fact that he didn't have a face-to-face uh, with uh, Belichick. Uh, and it was just a sort of a related uh, related to uh, a phone call and that's not what he had in mind so i don't i don't i don't know that he's offended i think brady wanted a, a better goodbye so maybe he could do that on the field sunday night tom brady on returning to new england not thinking about the history i'm not gonna necessarily reminisce i don't think this is the moment for that and i'll have plenty of opportunities to reminisce about my football career none of which i really care to do right now because i'm so much in the moment i'm not going to be thinking about 20 years of history i'm going to be thinking about one night of football a sunday night game coming off a really tough loss 
Well, that's uh, that's something Belichick would say, right? We're not gonna <laughs> just worry about the game Sunday night. Here's Brady on returning to New England uh, and and his familiarity with the stadium. I know that locker room. I know that home locker room. I know that home tunnel. I know you know which way the wind blows. I know everything about that. I know the way it smells. I know what a night game's like. I know what the fans are going to sound like. So in some ways, that'll be really unique. I've never had that experience going to you know New England. It'll be a first time for me being on the other sideline. And of course, this this could be very very short. This is Bill Belichick on Tom Brady choosing Tampa Bay. Well, I think we've been through all the dynamics of that. You know, he looked at his options and made his decision. We weren't as good an option as uh, Tampa. It wasn't a question of not wanting him, that's for sure. You know, I, I, every time I listen to him, I want him to do the message on my voicemail. Uh, Jim's not available. You know what to do. Leave a message. Don't bother me. <laughs> Classic stuff. Uh, so what else do we have? Well, we've got some notes from practice today. Kristen Chilton telling us that Spencer Carberry's on the ice between the league practices, working on the power play with Riley, Matthews, Marner, Spezza, and Tavares. Um, and uh, Kevin McGrath reporting William Nylander uh, not on the ice today, spotted at the facility earlier. And uh, Kevin's reporting told us for personal reasons as opposed to medical reasons, uh, the reason why uh, he's not there. So then you may have noticed, and, and again, uh, you can't read into what happens uh, with a uh, uh, exhibition game or preseason game lineup because obviously the regulars aren't there, but Nylander was killing penalties uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and, you know, I was talking again with our producer Stephanie about this, and, and I'm of the opinion that your core players, as they mature should be involved in every facet of the game uh, and and why not i mean you're only concerned about killing a penalty is, is that you don't want to take a shot on the foot or something but uh, i think sometimes you know when you're trying to mature a player you're, you're, you're sort of stuck between do you play a more or less and you have to have a read on the situation sometimes you have to pull the player out or, or give them less and, and and have some coaching moments there and, and have them think about it and other times it's just better to, to pile the workload on because sometimes you just need to work through it and that helps you evolve as well we'll see what happens so we'll be with you tonight leafs and ottawa centers live on tsn 1050 and we start at seven gameplay is next